1: Or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You may have a great company, but if it doesn't fit the profile, its stock is not going to generate much enthusiasm here. I think that's the thought behind a lot of the action we've seen lately, including today, where the Dow dipped 28 points, the S&P declined 0.08%, and the Nasdaq edged down 0.04%. Now, what exactly does it mean to fit the profile? It means the company has to be a direct beneficiary of the new tax law, and it needs to come from a cohort that's under love by Wall Street in order to garner support from today's billion-dollar portfolio managers. So what stocks meet that criteria? The craziest ones, that's what. Let me give you a classic example of crazy. Consider the stock of Nucor, the steelmaker, which happens to be the best of a very beleaguered group. Now, Nucor's been tough to handle in 2017, rising only 7% for the year, far behind the averages, and spending a lot of time well below that level because the company's performed, let's say, at a less than optimal rate. My Chapel Trust owns the stock. We've been advising members of the ActionLordsPlus.com club that it could be a rocky road, but basically you had to hold your nose and buy it because it will eventually come back in favor of the Wall Street fashion show. Last Thursday, before the Open, Nucor gave you an update on its fourth quarter, telling you that it was going to earn between 50 and 55 cents a share. Now, mind you, Nucor had already forecasted that it would report slightly down numbers from its previous quarter when it gave you a 79-cent gain. This pre-announcement marked the third consecutive quarter that Nucor's lowered estimates. Can you imagine any tech or pharmaceutical company doing that without seeing its stock cut in half? Yet what happened to this stock of Nucor? Well, it went down a wee little, just a wee little bit. A number of cuts couldn't do that. But the shocking thing though, was that the decline only lasted for about the blink of an eye. Even if you squint, you'd have a hard time seeing on the chart. Now get this. Today, Nucor's stock actually traded above where it was before the pre-announcement, less than a week. Why? Because it fits the profile of what the big buyers in this market now want. That's why. Yep, it's a company that can do much better if the economy accelerates. It pays the 31% effective tax rate, so it stands to make a lot more money under the new law. And Nucor should also benefit from the president's trade policy, namely forcing the Chinese to stop dumping steel here. We expect that the Commerce Department could crack down on China as soon as next month. So Nucor, the company that couldn't shoot straight, the company that's completely, repeatedly disappointed on earnings, has gone from hated to loved in just one week's time after a pre-announcement. It's a textbook example of what portfolio managers are clearing for, a high-quality cyclical that hasn't already moved up dramatically. You know what? I think a stock could go from 63 to 70 now. What else fits the profile? How about the stock of Federal Express? Last night, FedEx reported management said they'd raise their forecast substantially, well above what Wall Street's currently looking for, when the tax bill becomes law. Well, it just did. Now, unlike Nucor, FedEx is already doing incredibly well, thanks to the strength in e-commerce. The company also made it clear that business will get even better under the new tax regime. Not only that, but they also will buy a lot more plant and equipment as these large purchases on capital now get much more favorable accounting treatment under the new tax code. I bet they buy a bevy of planes to meet the burgeoning demand and take advantage of the tax breaks. One more reason to buy Boeing. I know people are perennially worried about how Amazon's delivery plans could impact FedEx. But on the conference call, the company revealed that even their largest customer only accounts for just 3% of sales. So can we stop sweating the Amazon program, please? So FedEx does well under the tax bill, and it benefits from a better global economy. That makes it a total winner. No wonder the stock rallied 3.5% today to an all-time high. You know who else fits the profile? Get this, the banks. Yeah, used to be worse, right? You can pick any one of them you want to because they're all pretty cheap anyway. I'm partial to Citigroup, which is owned by the charitable trust, City benefits from lower taxes and the gradual rising of short-term interest rates. Plus, longer rates have been going up lately, giving the bank a bigger spread between what it pays you and your deposits and the much higher amount they charge for loans. Beyond that, a little notice change in the tax law has created an anomaly where it's cheaper for international industrials to borrow money overseas and deduct the interest against gains in those countries rather than deducting the interest here. You know what? I think people are going to start talking about this. I know they're not yet. It's something I discovered. And it's terrific for banks with worldwide tentacles, like a Citigroup or, say, a Goldman Sachs, which can act as international bank agents for domestic borrowers who want to take advantage of the better tax schemes overseas when it comes to debt. I bet you somebody upgrades Goldman Sachs tomorrow on that. Wouldn't shock me. I think the earnings estimates for the whole banking group are about to rise substantially. And these stocks are all cheap versus the rest of the market anyway. They're up 15 times earnings. No wonder the stocks just won't quit. So what doesn't fit the profile? What's being sold? Sell, sell, sell. I'd argue that big international techs sure don't fit the profile. An Alphabet or an Amazon may have billions of dollars overseas that can be repatriated under the new rules. But a lot of it will stay overseas because that's where it's needed. Plus, money managers don't want the kind of secular growth companies that perform well no matter what kind of economy we have. They want cyclicals that are going to have a much larger year-over-year earnings gain thanks to an accelerating economy and a big tax cut. Alphabet, Amazon, and their fellow Fang travelers certainly aren't losers under the new tax regime, and I sure wouldn't sell but they're far from the biggest winners. And since this stuff is all relative, they've gone out of style on the Wall Street one way. What else? How about those big global drug stocks? Ooh, they don't fit the profile. They're being beaten down right here, left and right, because they have a lot of international exposure, which means they don't benefit as much from the domestic tax bill. But then there's a company like Centene, which we had on the week, uh, just uh, last week. Centene's all domestic, 38% effective tax rate, highest you can have, which means the company's looking at a huge earnings boost next year. Now, some people insist that these gains are already baked into the stock market. You hear that all the time, right? They want to tell you it's too late to buy many of the winners. I think they're wrong. I think they're very wrong. What makes me so confident? First, even as recently as a month ago, most investors did not believe this bill would pass. Second, the global economy is doing much better than it was not that long ago. So the big industrials will probably report upside surprises anyway with fabulous guidance. And then who knows what they'll do with the tax cut? Finally, the new winners still aren't particularly loved here. Sure, Boeing stock is flying high. Wall Street's totally fallen for Caterpillar, right? But you know what? Let's use one. I took a good look at a great American industrial, Emerson. After I saw this very morning, that orders for the last three months were up 20 percent. Wow. Now, if you hit up that stock, you will see it's already it's 52 week high. I know, I know, I know. However, when I looked at how Wall Street analysts are positioned on the name, there were only seven buys, but 14 holds. What happens when those holds upgrade to buys, which is what I expect almost immediately? because Emerson's earnings estimates are now way too low. I bet the stock goes higher, raising numbers EMR by the stock. So you may feel like you've missed it. And I'm not going to say that you haven't let a bunch of trains go by, especially the tech trains. They've left the station without you. Nevertheless, the bottom line is that there's still plenty of other stocks that fit the profile, and they're ready to make another and I think maybe substantial move. Now, I wish those stocks would come down and give us an even better entry point. But even here, I think they're still worth buying. Zach in Pennsylvania. Zach. Yes, Jim. How are you? I am good, Zach, because you know what happens when we play the Oakland Raiders next week. Oh, we're going to beat them. We're going to beat them so bad. I took a a chance that the guy wasn't from Steeler country. (laughs) I'm from Philly. Oh, good deal, man. Absolutely. So, I saw your segment on Columbia and that clothing line, which I think is great. I'm a big fan of Duluth. Wanted to know your opinion on Duluth Trading Company with all the stores that are opening and their stock price. All right. It's an easy call here. Look at the commercials. They're fabulous. Buy the apparel. It's terrific. Stay away from the stock. It's It's awful. They missed badly. Let's go to Ragu in New Jersey, my home state. Ragu. Hey, Jim. Happy holidays. Same to you. Hey, Jim, I I have a question regarding Noah NVO. I bought this stock last year
0: for $33. Right now it's close to 54, 50% up. So should I hold or sell? Actually, you know
1: what? I'm not partial to it. I know it looks cheap on next year's numbers, but I don't like the the, uh, insulin space. I always worry about some sort of price controls coming on. So let's stay away from that one. Let's go to Bill in New York, please. Bill!
0: Hi, Jim. Happy holidays to you and your staff and your families. Thank you, Sam. I'd like to thank you for all the great advice you give. And what I'd appreciate is your short-term and long-term view on Vale Resort MTN.
1: Oh, I think it's terrific. I think that it's experiential. I think there would be a lot of people going there for a long time. I know that the stock looks like it's down and out. It's not trading as well as like a Marriott or a Southwest Air. But I think it makes a lot of sense over the long term because it is entertaining, experiential, and fantastic on Instagram. Sure, you may have missed a lot of the move, but I think there are still plenty of stocks that fit the profile to go higher. On Mad Money Tonight, after five months with no leader at the helm, Zimmer Biomed is finally named the CEO. Stock popped on the news. So, is it time to get bullish on the stock, or could unknowns continue to plague the company? Then, what happens when an activist investor makes a mistake? I'll tell you why Elliott's management's involvement with Hess could provide a case study with a happy ending. And will an improving global economy provide a lift to travel stocks? I'm eyeing it under the radar play in the space when I turn in tonight's homework. When Wall Street is champing at the bit to embrace the stock. Buy, 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 buy. But the bulls just keep getting tripped <coughs> by the underlying company's poor execution. Take Zimmer Biomet, that's CBH. It's the medical device company that sells a lot of orthopedic implants, hips, knees, you name it. Zimmer acquired Biomet in the middle of 2015 to a great deal of fanfare. Yet, time and again, the company failed to deliver on the promise of that merger, reporting disappointing quarter after disappointing quarter. <coughs> So it's no surprise that when David Dvorak, Zimmer's old CEO, announced his sudden departure in July, that the stock caught a nice bounce. With Dvorak gone, a lot of people were convinced that this story was ripe for a turnaround. And look, I agree that Dvorak had to go, but I was more cautious when I highlighted Zimmer over the summer. I told you that it was too soon to pound the table, in part because the company hadn't even appointed permanent CEO to fill its shoes yet. And this kind of comeback, well, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes some time. Good thing we didn't jump on the bandwagon, because for the last five months, Zimmer's stock has continued to fall. Almost entirely as a result of two fairly ugly quarters. But this whole time you could see just how badly people wanted to believe. The stock would get slammed on some bad numbers, but then it would start creeping higher again, with analyst after analyst trying to call a bottom dangerous game. Then the next bad quarter would come out and it would go right back down. Finally, though, yesterday morning, Zimmer named a permanent CEO, got the name of Brian Hansen. He's a veteran of Medtronic, and before that, covidian. And the response was as bullish as it was dramatic. Ah. Immediately after the news broke, two analysts upgraded the stock. And a third analyst who upgraded before in anticipation of a good hire named Zimmer her top pick for 2018. Bye, bye, bye
0: bye, bye, bye.
1: More important, the stock surged nearly $7 or 6% yesterday. House of Pleasure. So what makes everyone so darn bullish about Zimmer and Biomet? And more important, are they right about the timing? I said I wanted to to wait to pound the table until we knew who the new CEO would be. Well, now we know. Does that mean it's time to buy? Or there are other things you need to take into consideration before you pull the trigger. First, you need to understand that turnarounds do not happen overnight. And Zimmer is very much in need of a turnaround. Just look at how the last two quarters played out. When the company reported at the end of July, the headline numbers were not terrible inline in-line revenue, mild two-cent earnings. But hey, that's not so bad for these guys. But the guidance for the next quarter was very disappointing, especially on the bottom line. Zimmer slashed its full-year sales and earnings forecast. But don't take my word for it. Just listen to Daniel Florin, Zimmer's chief financial officer, who at the time was serving as interim CEO. Florin told us in the call, quote, our sales growth fell short of our expectations due in part to production delays of certain key brands and slower than expected sales recapture from previously affected customers in the United States, end quote. This is exactly the kind of bungled execution. (laughs) that plagued Zimmer since the biomet deal. No wonder the stock immediately plummeted 14% on the news. Fast forward to the beginning of November. Zimmer's stock had seemed like it was getting its groove back. The company and we, were about, uh, and we were about to get the first full quarter without Dvorak at the helm. But again, Zimmer disappointed. They delivered a small top and bottom line miss, even after the lowball guidance from the previous quarter. Worse. Management's forecasts for the following quarter were much lower than Wall Street was expecting. And yet again, management cut their full year guidance. It was like these guys just couldn't catch a break. The problem this time around? Going back to the well here, according to Florin, quote, our top-line results remain challenged during the quarter due to the pace of supply recovery of certain key brands, as well as softened domestic market conditions and slower than anticipated sales recapture, particularly in the United States, end quote. I mean, this is supposed to be one of these healthcare companies that it doesn't matter how the economy does. Holy cow. At this point, it feels like Zimmer's been struggling with manufacturing issues for ages, and they never seem to be able to get it right. Over the following week, the stock plunged from 121 down to 108. But that's where it bottomed, at least for the moment. Still, it's important to point out that both analysts and investors have been trying to fight the decline ever since Dvorak stepped down. It didn't take long after either bad quarter for the stock to start catching upgrades again. And I understand why. Zimmer's problems should be temporary. Once they get the manufacturing issues sorted out, this will be a much better story. And there was a ton of excitement about a new CEO coming in even before we knew who he was. Then yesterday, we find out that Brian Hansen, the head of Medtronic's minimally invasive surgery division, a great business, is getting the top job. Before that, this man ran Covidian's medical device business. Man, this is a great hire. But the analyst community has been downright diffusive. Stock surged from 114 to 121 in single session. Goldman upgraded the stock from sell to neutral arguing that things are looking up, but the turnaround will still take time, and Hansen may want to slash the company's forecast right off the, right off the bat in order to set a lower bar for himself. It makes sense to do. Wells Fargo upgraded it from market perform to outperform, arguing that Zimmer sells for a 25% discount to the large-cap medical technology group, and they see the stock narrowing the gap now that it has new leadership. That makes a lot of sense to me. Deutsche Bank raised the price target. In short, people have wanted to love Zimmer for months, and now they finally have a reason to do so. So, where do I come down? Here's the thing. I am very positive on Hanson's appointment because when he was a Covidian, conv- he successfully merged his two largest divisions into one unit, making me believe he can do the same with Zimmer and his Biomet assets. Then after Medtronic bought Covidian, he oversaw their integration into a whole different company. Again, this is exactly what Zimmer needs as the Biomet integration has been by far their biggest problem. It's plagued them the whole way. There's another slightly more far-fetched reason to like this pick. Some people might be thinking it suggests suggested Zimmer Biomet is putting it itself up for sale, perhaps to Medtronic. Let's not forget, and Partners, the big activist firm, still is a major position here, and they've never been shy about pushing for a sale. Just ask the guys who run. <laughs> used to run Whole Foods. Well, they're still running under Amazon, but you know what I mean. The other thing, Zimmer's stock remains incredibly cheap, even after the recent run. Selling for less than 15 times next year's earnings estimates made most of the stocks in this group trade about 22 to 24 times. But, and this is the biggest of buts, you're going to have to be patient. There are only 13 days left in the current quarter, so Hansen won't have much impact. Do not expect fabulous results the next time the company reports. Luckily, expectations are finally low enough, I think, but new CEOs have a tendency to lower the bar even more, if only so they can youod, under promise and overdeliver. So here's the bottom line: I believe Zimmer Biomet can at last turn itself around with this gentleman Hansen at the helm. But I also think you might wanna wait for the company to report in about six weeks because if Hansen under promises, the stock will likely sell off again, and that could be the terrific buying opportunity. But you know what, I'm blessing here, if you wanna put a small position on Zimra buying that, betting that this could be the last bad quarter and the stock will jump, be my guest, as this is by far the cheapest stock in the group because of all the things that have gone wrong. The problem is, remember, it could get cheaper still when we see the quarter. To leave a little room to back up the truck. All right, much more Mad Money. Head is history pitying itself when it comes to Has. With rumors that Elliott Management is planning another proxy fight, I'm taking a closer look at the company's performance and the opportunities. Then, good news if the dog ate your homework, I did it for you, and I think you could make you some money. And how my holiday shopping clue could tell you what to do with the stock of Stipper Kramer. Energy's been wrong for ages. Almost everyone his brother has given up on it. Sell, sell, sell. Yet the oil stocks have now rallied for three straight days, despite oil doing nothing itself. So you have to wonder. You have to wonder whether we finally reached a bottom. <laughs> and the group can now be bought. Bye, bye, bye. Hey, it makes some sense. We could get much stronger growth here with tax reform. We have synchronized global growth, while the Saudis, desperate to do that Ramco IPO, have exercised a level of discipline that very few people expected. And while it's true that America is producing far more oil than people expected at these prices, our production is a drop in the proverbial OPEC bucket if they want to pump full out like we are. Plus, while most of the world has turned on fossil fuels, our president has embraced them. He's probably the most pro-fossil fuels president in history. So what do you do if West Texas crude, which has been in the high 50s of late, actually finally breaks out to 60? Something that's tantalizingly close. Considering how many investors have given up on this group entirely, I think you need something more than just hoping for rising oil prices. Even if you expect America and the rest of the world to have much better economic growth next year, something that I think this tax law bets. I think you need what we call in the business a catalyst, a spur. So perhaps if you don't have any oil exposure here, and I don't blame it because, boy, it's killed my chapel trust, and I hate them. But now I'm open-minded. Maybe you should be thinking about buying the stock of Hess. Because not only does it have a spur, it's got someone saber-rattling for the CEO to go and the company to put itself up for sale. Yep, it's got Elliott Partners, the activist fund, run by the brilliant Paul Singer, which has made fortunes for its investors. Now, roughly a year ago, We gave these guys a hard time for their earlier involvement with Hess. They built a big position in the company right before oil peaked in 2014. In retrospect, it was a bad call. But hey, in the immortal words of Joey Brown at the end of Some Like It Hot, nobody's perfect. Besides, Elliott's made a killian marathon, Pete, so we know they've got to handle the energy sector. Still, Elliott's been biding their time for years in Hess. They're a long-term holder, waiting and waiting and waiting for management to get its act together and turn things around. So why have they decided suddenly to mount another activist campaign after all these years? Simple. <laughs> Hess has been a dog. The stock's now at $44. Elliot wants to put the company up for sale. I don't blame them. because I think the sum of the parts could be north of $75 a share. So why is this thing so undervalued relative to its assets? What's the company doing over there? Well, every time Hess has reported this year, even when the headline numbers looked okay, there's been some negative catalyst that's ended up disappointing people. Mm. And there have been plenty of shortfalls. The last time the company reported in October, they delivered a big revenue beat. but their capital expenditure still managed to convert that into a major energy uh, major earnings miss. and the stock got hit yet again. Now Hess has made some big asset sales this year. In June, the company sold its Permian Basin-enhanced oil recovery assets to Occidental for $600 million. In October, they sold their holdings in Norway to Acre for $2 billion. And they've got an agreement to sell their fields in Denmark next year. So the company's raised a ton of cash. Plus, in April, they spun off their pipeline business as an MLP, or Master Limited Partnership. It's called Hess Midstream Partners. And they're starting to cut costs, albeit not as aggressively as they should be. Companies using some of the cash it's raised to pay down debt. But it's also shelling out $500 million for buybacks, which account for roughly 3% to 4% of the share count. Hess is now, though, a pure play exploration and production company. They got rid of those gas stations with valuable assets in Malaysia, the Gulf of Mexico, the Bakken shale, and some amazing offshore holdings in Guyana. In fact, some analysts speculate that this, uh, off this, these Guyana holdings that they could be worth $6 billion. That's nearly half of Hess's current market cap. But the company's got some major issues. In the Bakken shale, there's a general sense that Hess is operating poorly, despite having some excellent oil fields. Hey, they discovered it. when They bought these assets from a guy named Mr. Bakken. They were pretty early. That was when it was Amarada Hess. More importantly, investors have gotten frustrated it's taking these guys so long to get things rolling in Guyana, where their partner's Exxon. They should be doing better. And there's a larger scale problem. Hess is too small to behave like a big integrated oil. That's not even what it is anymore. But its assets are too disparate, scattered all over the world, for the company to be run like a finely-tuned exploration and production machine. And that's why Elliott has decided to go public with its concerns again. What do they want? Well, more asset sales, companies Malaysian Holdings at the top of the list, more buybacks. They also want Hess. Here's an odd one if you own the stock. They want Hess to cut, not raise, but cut (laughs) the dividend. In part because CEO John Hess, the... Thank you. The largest shareholder owns 11% of the company. So the dividend tax is kind of a, let's call it an undeserving bonus for him. Maybe that's not the best use of capital. Finally, Elliot's so unhappy with management that they'd like to see a full sale. Or uh, uh, maybe, yes, the whole company. Or at least the outright firing of Hess. In short, the activists believe that management has lost all credibility because of its incredibly poor track record, And scattershot overall strategy. So when management says, just wait for Guyana to come online in 2020, nobody believes him. Hence the stock's undervaluation relative to its peers. Given the situation where the whole is worth less than the sum of the parts because of lousy management, a sale might be the best way for Hess to get the valuation that it deserves. And that's why I like the stock. Because while Hess is at $44 now, when you look at what those assets could be worth as part of a sale, you can easily get to a much higher price. That's how poorly run this company is. If they just sold everything to someone, maybe almost double in value. But will John S. do the right thing and take Elliott's concerns seriously? Or will the board take action and tell him to retire? Well, if management doesn't comply with at least some of their demands, Elliott may launch a relentless proxy fight of the kind they're so good at and that you don't want to be a part of, at least if you're management. Would it work? It could. Remember, Elliott won three board seats the last time the hedge fund went after Hess, and two of those directors are still in place. Beyond that, they forced the company to nominate other board members with more experience in oil and gas who might agree with them. And if it comes down to a proxy fight, I think a lot of investors should, would be on their side, given what I just described as the stock's terrible performance. But here's the bottom line. If Elliott gets its way, then I think Hess's stock can go much higher, even if management tries to fight them. I just don't think there's much downside left in this thing, given the recent rebound in oil and the stocks for the last three days. In the end, I recommend putting on a small position so you can buy more into weakness if Has foolishly tries to fight off the activists rather than surrendering to their demands. Patrick in Arizona, Patrick.
0: Hi, Jim. Patrick. The question is about Kinder Morgan. I have taken most of my losses on my oil stocks, but not Kinder. Which is down about 58 percent? Do I take my losses and reinvest, or should I stay a little longer?
1: Uh, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of this company. If you wanted to be in uh, one of these pipeline companies, that's actually a master limited partnership. Partnership. My Chapel Trust. I tell club members MMP, which is Magellan Midstream Partners, all oil, taking oil out of the Permian, five and a quarter percent yield, much much better buy. Victor in Kentucky, Victor.
0: Jim, a big booyah from Lexington, Kentucky.
1: Oh, it's a beautiful city. What can I help? Uh, gas log I'm calling about tonight. It's
0: in the li- liquid natural gas transportation business.
1: Yeah, you about know, this stock then. has had a big run, and I don't really trust it here. I would cut your position in half if you own some. Ring the register. Group's too speculative for me. How about Tim in Marilyn? Tim.
0: Hey, Jim. Can you hear me? You bet. You sound great. What's up? Hey, yeah, I just had a question on NRG. I want to know if it's a buy, hold, and sell. No, this I one's it run too then.
1: much, Tim. We're too late. It's up 120%. Time to find another. May I suggest Cotton or Letter D or AEP. They are all better. Sure, the oil stocks have been rallying. But you know what? You need more than just that kind of rallying button on the stocks. You need a catalyst. And Hess has a real spur. If it listens to Elliott Partners like this, I think there's going to be a lot of upside ahead much more mad money ahead I'm my a company that works with the likes of cisco samsung and lg electronics and you may never have heard of it i'll reveal the name when i turn in tonight's homework then when it comes to apple i'm explaining why the bears should not be allowed to have it both ways the lawyer calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the lightning round so stick with kramer
0: tomorrow kick off the trading day with squawk on the street Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. You want a cup, he's going like this. You know, Adobe's like,
1: this one. Can you do... I can't. I knew you couldn't. That's why I did I'll
0: pull something if I try to do that. You're very limber. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. What's better than Mad Money? How about more Mad Money? Follow Mad Money on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to go one-on-one with Kramer.
1: Reaction. What other questions do we have? Ah, I always tell people you gotta start with an index fund because I need you to be diversified. Get more with guests. How do you stay sharp?
0: And go behind the scenes with the most interactive show on television. If
1: you can't explain in three bullets why you're buying a certain stock, don't buy it.
0: Follow Mad Money today.
1: If you ask me about a stock and I can't give you a straight answer, I always do the homework and circle back to it at a later date. Because that's what this show is really about, answering all of your questions and telling you what you need to know in order to become a better investor. So with that in mind, let's do some homework for some callers I uh, for some stocks I really didn't know. First up, on Halloween, we got a call from Sal in New York who's asking about a company called Smart Global Holdings. SGH, I mean, it could be anything, right? Well, it turns out to be a semiconductor company. And it came public over this year. It's been a huge winner. It's up 188% from the IPO price. Smart makes specialty memory, storage, and hybrid solutions for all sorts of end markets. I know it sounds a little like Micron, MU, which reported last night in a pretty good number. Thought that stock should have been up more. But let's talk about this phenomenal run since the IPO. Smart has been riding high thanks to two growth themes this year, the strength in semiconductors, and get this one, the strength in Brazil, which has a burgeoning chipmaker industry, uh, chip chipmaking industry, and it accounts for more than half the company's sales. Now, that's a shocker, huh? Now, that's allowed Smart to report a series of very strong quarters. Plus, early last month, the company effectively pre-announced a huge earnings beat, and that sent the stock flying through the roof. However, well, we've recently seen some things that give us pause about this company. For starters, Smart held a secondary offering late last month and pushed the stock down. This was mostly about allowing the company's private equity sponsor, Silver Lake, to ring the register. But the deal didn't price well, and the stock got slant. In other words, it was sloppily priced, and the holders didn't want to own it, and they flipped out of it and drove the stock lower. Second, the company's uh, longtime CEO, he's stepping down sometime next year. I I don't like that. But on the other hand, smart reports tomorrow night and them the positive pre-announcement, I bet there'll be a lot to like, although it probably won't take too many people by surprise, right? Because they pre-announce. Really, this is all about the guidance. That's what we want to hear. And if the guidance is good, the stock could work. But if it's disappointing, look out below. So where do I come down on smart global holdings? I'm giving a yellow light, proceed with caution. I like the story OK, but I don't like that that CEO is retiring or the fact that the private equity backers are getting out. Plus, at least some experts are predicting a slowdown in memory chips, notably Flash. We know that. We heard that in the Micron call last night. And that could start, you know, Flash did peak in October, and it could go down further next year. Katie Ubrey from Morgan Stanley, an analyst I-Trust, has been saying that. On the other hand, though, if you believe the estimates are, uh, that, uh, that predict good numbers, the stock's insanely cheap. It sells for less than nine times earnings. That suggests some people believe the estimates will need to be cut. In the end, if you really want to speculate on a semiconductor play, you got my blessing to go with Smart Global Holdings. But please be careful. This thing is still pretty hot, so you could get burned. And by the way, I do think Micron stock should have been up more on that big upside surprise. Next up, on November 15th, Donald in New Jersey asked me about a company called Travelport Worldwide. And here are the symbols TVPT. It's a technology company that aims to improve the experience of selling, buying, and managing travel. Basically, Travelport runs a proprietary business-to-business travel marketplace. They also are a leading player in airline merchandising, hotel content and distribution, car rentals, mobile commerce, and business-to-business payment solutions. So it's certainly got a lot going on here. But Travelport, the stock, it's been a bit of a dud. This former Blackstone portfolio company, and that's a private equity company, came public in September of 2014 at $16 per share. The market's up big, but this thing now trades at $13. The problem, well, actually there are a lot of problems. First, Travelport has struggled to grow since its IPO. In the first nine months of this year, the company's sales increased by just 3.8%. Compare that to Expedia and Priceline, they're growing at 16 and 18% respectively. The company also has a suboptimal balance sheet, something you often find with these former private equity properties And finally, the space just isn't that great right now. If Expedia is only up 6% year-to-date after a big shortfall, then you better believe a lower-quality company like Travelport is going to do even worse. I say take a pass. And if you own it, I would swap it into a now lower-priced Expedia. Or better yet, I'd take Priceline. Both are better run, although it's not my favorite space. Bad Money's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate daddy. time for the lightning round. It's time with Tony in Illinois. Tony.
0: Kramer, first time caller. Merry Christmas and thank you. What's your opinion on AXTI, please?
1: Uh, It's okay. So this is a company that helps make uh, the parts of semiconductors that, frankly, I don't want to be involved in. So I'm going to say no. I'm going to say that you could be an Intel or yes, if you want one that is going to be down. I think until year end. But I do like it's Nvidia. Let's go to Darius. It's going to be down for the reasons I said at the top of the show. Let's go to Darius, North Carolina. Darius. Hey, Jim. Hey,
0: I got a good question for you for a young investor in and 30 Is a good, good buy? I've liked good. it now. Good. I've liked it
1: now for a little while. I've liked it since three. I don't think it's done. Ah! I think go higher. I think it's very well run now. I like the stock. Rich Williams, come back on the show, please. How about Gregory in New York, Gregory?
0: Booyah, Jim! Booyah. My, my stock is Post, P-O-S-T.
1: You know what? I was on the General Mills conference call. It looks like cereals doing a little better. I would buy the stock of Post, P-O-S-T. Ah. Let's go to Will in New York. Will.
0: Hi, Jim. Will from New York. Love your show. Happy holiday. Same. I bought Marriott, M-A-R, out of $102 this summer. It's already up 36 Let success. it
1: ride, my friend. Quality company, quality ah. brand think goes higher. How about Bob in Ohio? Bob!
0: Hey Jim, booyah! Jim. booyah. Cincinnati.
1: What's? Oh man, Cincinnati, Procter & Gamble. Congratulations you to go. Mr. Taylor and Mr. Peltz. What's up?
0: Hey, uh, looking at AGX, I got a small position uh, in there about 43. and you i was was just I do wondering, more work uh, what on what that thing? That. I have
1: been itching to do more work on it and I don't have an answer right now. Let's go to Victor in South Carolina. Victor! Yes sir. Victor, you're up. Hey, I've been trying to understand Chinese social media and following Momo's ups and downs. And I was wondering what you thought it may be. No, the only one I'm recommending there is Alibaba and maybe Baidu. These others are just too hard. Uh, No, thank you. Let's go to Brian in Florida. Brian.
0: Jim, a big booyah to you, and thank you for everything you do for us.
1: Thank you. Thank
0: you. Jim, I'm calling about Square. I purchased it, unfortunately, at $49 a share. And since then, it's dropped 25%. I'm wondering if I should hang in there. Well, quick, I up. think you're okay, oh, Brian.
1: I it, it, I, you know, it's a buy, it got caught up in Bitcoin mania. I mean, I, uh, you know, we had Sarah Fryer on the CFO. She said it wasn't going to be that important, but they announced a press release. And then Jack Dorsey said it would be important. So I am uh, in between myself and don't know. Let's go to Brenton, Michigan. Brent. Booyah, Jim. Long-time Sweet. listener, first-time caller. Sweet. Hey, my stock is Buckle. Um... Been hot recently. I mean, this is a young man in a power, young men and women in power. We talked about this with AEO the other day when I was on a halftime report, American Eagle. This group is smoking, it's been left for dead, and it's not dead. And I like it. Let's go to Jack of Pennsylvania. Jack, Jack, I'm here. Hey, Jack, yes, I'm here. Yeah, Jack, it's Jim. Go ahead.
0: Yes, I'm wondering about uh, PPL.
1: Yeah, you know, there's a the guy I recommended selling that stock the other day. I looked at it because I used to pay these guys a lot of money. But, you know, my favorites are Dominion, American Electric Power, and Con Ed. And I'm not changing my mind. And let's go to Sean in Nevada. Sean.
0: It's Sean from Las Vegas.
1: Jim, Booya, How you doing? Booyah, man. I like your teams. There's like 17 teams there. Now, what's up?
0: I got a question and a comment for you. Number one is if Boeing really goes to 45600, I'll send you a, a briefcase full of money. How about that?
1: Well, as long as it's got Bitcoin in it, I'm okay.
0: All right. The other one is uh, I got a question about Salesforce. How come uh, it's I mean, they announced they're partnering with Google and they have great numbers well, it's and everything. Well, it why doesn't why fit the profile what off? people want
1: right now, which is cyclicality, but I would stick with that one most definitely in that. Ladies and gentlemen, to the conclusion of the Lightning Round!
0: The Lightning Round is sponsored by T.D. Ameritrade.
1: Some ideas are mutually exclusive. Quick non-stock market example. You can dislike the new Star Wars movie for being too similar to the originals, or you can dislike it for being too different. But when you start saying it's too similar and it's too different, it sounds like you're determined to hate the thing no matter what. It's one or the other. And that was my thought yesterday when we talked about the availability of Apple's iPhone 10 on Squawk on the Street. I eagerly wanted to buy a 10, a big one for my wife, who very much wants an upgrade, even if she already has the 7. She's sold on the pictures, the speed, the beauty of the 10, and of course the wireless charging. Since I know she doesn't watch that show, or this one either, I'm used my friend, to my partner and friend, Carl Quintanilla, about whether it would be easy to even get her one. We talked about how it might be too late for Christmas, and maybe there just aren't any left in the stores, uh, which was the case when I went to buy one earlier this month. So thinking that I should avoid the big stores, I went to the beautiful Apple Museum that's across the street from the beautiful Whitney Museum. Okay, only one of those is an actual museum, but if you've seen that gorgeous store with the glass walls and the spiral staircase, you know what I mean. A terrific salesperson immediately came to my aid and asked what I wanted. I struggled, I hesitated. Lest I, the answer be, no, they didn't have it, which would then force me to traipse up and down the very pricey Madison Avenue looking for another, probably more expensive present. But I blurted out the 10, and she said she had only one left, but it was a silver one. I told her I'd take it. Then she asked me if I wanted a charger, and I was thrilled they had one of those in stock. Finally, I said, how about the earbuds? Do you have the buds? I'm desperate for the buds, and I hear they're constantly sold out. Sure enough, they didn't have any left. Later that day, I go to check Twitter and and see what the emails, see what people are saying. Well, let me summarize it this way. About half the people said it's terrible for Apple that I could get the iPhone because it shows demand is light and inventory is heavy. The other half said it's bad for Apple that they only had the silver because it shows the company didn't even know what it was doing, no idea how great the demand would be, and didn't make enough phones for the holidays. And worse, the fact that they ran out of earbuds shows that they're completely a bunch of knuckleheads. In other words, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Now, put aside that this is a global company trying to figure out what the demand will be for literally tens of millions of people. Can we just accept the fact that both sides of this case can't possibly be bearish? Uh, the fact that Apple had what I wanted and they haven't run out of the iPhone 10 ahead of Christmas. Uh, it, 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 you don't like that? That's stupid. You mean to tell me you'd like the company more if they had nothing left in stock a week before the biggest consumer holiday in the world? Is that what you want? Well, by the same token, how can you fault Apple for only having that one color left in stock? How on earth would Apple know which color would sell out faster? As for the EarPods, okay, I am a little upset about this one because I initially thought it was a ridiculous idea, but now I can't live without them. These days, I wonder what the heck I was doing with a string around my neck while jogging on the treadmill. <laughs> the wireless EarPods are so much safer and, by the way, cooler and easier to use. It's a bummer, but the fact that these things are flying off the shelves, again, pretty high-quality problem for Apple. Now, I know that Apple stock doesn't fit the profile of what investors are buying here, as I described at the top of the show. But can we just admit that you can't fault them both ways? I I say all things considered, if you own the stock, as my charitable trust does, you should be thrilled to dance some inventory, but not too much inventory. Because too much inventory is, quite frankly, the bane of a retailer's existence. I think this is ideal. Now, granted, this whole story is anecdotal, but it suggests that Apple threaded the needle about as well as you possibly could expect them to. If anything, I think they made the bull case for Apple, not the bear case. That's why I believe that even up here, you should own, not trade, the shares of the greatest consumer product story the world has ever known. Oh, and, and can you believe I'm saying this in front of millions of people and it'll still be a surprise to her? A lot of people asked me today about some high-quality companies like Red Hat down a lot, like Salesforce earlier today. Remember, these are companies that don't fit the profile. Right now, they don't. They are being thrown away. But you know what? We got a couple of slow-growth numbers, and you'll be saying, why did I throw away Red Hat? Why did I dump Salesforce? So just stay diversified and understand that your highest-growth companies right now don't fit what the portfolio managers want. They're out of style. But it doesn't mean they're done. So please don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise probably am trying to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems.